You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome back to the Stateside Podcast with James Macmillan and Alan Ashcraft. Tonight, we have a very esteemed guest, a good friend of ours, Jesse Cannon. Jesse is a podcaster, a mix engineer, producer, songwriter, musician, author, entrepreneur, and we'll get more information as we go from him, but he's a, a man of many hats, and we welcome him to the show. Welcome, Jesse. Hey there. Nice to be here. Yes, sir. What is that behind you? We have to start with that. What am I looking uh, that at? That is my last book cover blown up very big. I found out the resolution I did of that. It could be 35 feet big. I thought uh, I recognized it. Yeah. yeah. So what I did instead is I got it like three feet by two feet big instead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seemed a little more reasonable than the 35 feet, but I, you know, I might test it out at some point. Yeah. It's like the last supper with musicians. That's exactly what it. my idea was. Is like the idea is the uh, the top people are the like people I saw being the overarching uh, influences of our time, and then like the people they're cannibalizing on the table are like the people who they really stole from, and then the paintings in the back are it's the idea of like what the three ways music goes these days, and then all the dead bodies under the table, right. Uh, are everybody else who I think has had an influence along that way that people have stolen from. No, it's a good idea. I love it, man. I'm, and I'm, I'm actually surprised more people haven't done that idea. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I really looked through this, through this and like Kanye had done kind of a shitty one and I was like, ah, you know, and then I spent 170 hours on it. So then I was like, okay, well, I think I outdid the rest after all that time. It's also partly that I'm a terrible graphic designer, but that's a different story. Well, speaking of graphic and design, that's what Alan does for a living. So if you ever need ah. me, design help. Right, yeah. This guy's I, the man. I, I dig that. That's impressive that you did that because that's a really ambitious idea to have to execute. You know, I did, there was, I, I always tell this story and it's, I think it's helpful for music business people is like, uh, when I was in college for record production, the year before I started, I had produced 35 records. The year I went to college, I produced a single one and I did graphic design the whole time. And then all my friends, I was just at the URM summit. I can't tell you how many of the guys who are experienced producers like, I don't listen to music. What are you crazy? You listen to music. I'm like, I listen to music all the time. Right. Like, oh, I listen to podcasts. I'm like, well, I make podcasts all day and I listen to no podcasts anymore. And I think there's this thing that's just like, what it becomes is you do whatever the fuck you're not doing a million hours a day. Yeah. And like, I was recording a billion bands. I was writing that book and I was like, yeah, graphic design. I knew how to do that at one point. Why don't I try that again and give myself a little creative break again? Because God, am I fucking sick of the rest of this. I hope that doesn't happen with me in podcasts. Yeah. Like that's, uh, that's one of my favorite art forms of the past decade like i it really is one of my favorite other than movies and then music podcast is like right in that frame I'll, I'll tell you this i can remember when i first started working for alan douches and he's like i'm just not into music anymore i'm like i'm never gonna be like that fuck you old man <laughs> and then i hit that point i had to yeah. work really hard to get into it and i didn't even see it coming with podcasts but like i realistically like work on podcast production because i do so many 
you know, like even stuff I don't host, I do production on. And uh, I really do it like 10 to 20 hours a week. Ugh. So by the time I'm done a lot of the time, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not interested in fucking anything. Like I've like my curiosity has been drained from my body. And I, what's funny though is now I watch endless hours of YouTube and pretty much don't watch any like real television. I don't either. I, only watch- I, I know yeah. it, it drives my wife crazy. She'll come out in the middle because I stay up later than her and I'm just watching YouTube pretty much 100% of the time. It, it, it's funny. This is a, a thing I keep hearing people like I, you guys just had Finn McKenty on and, him yep. and I were talking about this and uh, you know, so many people, it's just like, it's just YouTube. And I think that that's my now thing. And of course now I'm like, well, what YouTube channel should I make? <laughs> so I can be sick of that. Oh, you'd be good at it, man. <laughs> You'd be good at it though, but that, then that would ruin another thing for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I love music again. So there is that. Yeah. I know my buddy, Chris Crummett has a real tough time listening to music now. Yeah. I think it's, it's finally happened for him. Well, I feel bad for Chris because uh, he's a talented guy, but a lot of people still do. You know, it's like funny. It's like writing this book on creativity. It's like you do need inspiration, but there's eventually like a pool to draw from that is so big that you've been so inspired that you can do things. But I do think you need to keep finding things like a lot of the music listening I do really has to be like really extremely new ideas. Like I always joke that like all my friends now are like, everybody you tell me about has like 80 million followers on this thing and no one I know has ever talked about them. And I'm like, that's called being 30 to 40 years old. Yeah. Don't know who Billie Eilish and Brockhampton are. Yeah. I, I, God, it happens all the time now. I, I mean, mm-hmm. it finally has happened. Does it happen for you? Alan, you're how old? Uh, 32. And has it mm-hmm. happened to you? Sort of. Yeah. It's, it's funny that one of your examples just now was uh, Billie Eilish. Cause I, I know shit just became familiar with her two weeks ago. And then I go through, I'm about a month. Yeah. And I go through her streaming numbers and I'm like, excuse me, how did I never hear about about this? We were talking about how Spotify is signing artists now. Is that when you brought Have they actually signed anybody yet? They have, but it's people you've never heard of. Oh, interesting. I got to look that up. I think they're almost doing like a, a beta run, you know, like, Mm. uh, I forget the name of the artist, but it, it was someone I had never heard of. So was it, was it a female artist? Yeah, because I, I saw it's it the the first one that they rolled out. It, yeah, it was a female artist that I had never heard of. It's such an interesting hedge because I'll tell you this: you know, they're not making the major labels happy. No, no, they're um, not. I mean, how do you? So, what do you? What are your thoughts on that, Jesse? Spotify signing bands, putting it so right out. To it's, Spotify. An, it's an interesting hedge because, like, obviously, they see a very big benefit in it, but. So, like, I like to make this joke since I work at a a major label and I don't go in every day or anything, but there's this funny thing that all three of the major labels are within a 15-minute walk from each other. Um, And most other music businesses' offices are all in that. And we're all going to eat at the same places before and after work. And the conversations I have when we're out with people, and I'm not going to name names, obviously, are a lot of retaliation and i'm saying this is from all three labels is interesting people are at labels are actively now working against spotify because they've become the competition and they're actively giving things to the other two which are not doing that even though obviously of the other two title and apple 
one of them is literally wasting your fucking time because no one's going to see it because they all have it's nothing but fake users and no one actually uses it so yeah it's it's a weird weird hedge to do but i think they assume they have the power i it's one of those things i pay attention to so many things this is one of those things i'm like a little not invested enough to care i'm invested more in like what's happening for artists than what's going to happen to these shareholders money because yeah. i you know want to skin them all alive anyway um so i just wish uh, that the labels because you're you're in new york right you're still in brooklyn yes uh, yeah so then you know like you didn't want to say names but new york city only has well, that would obviously be the New York labels. So I, I know who those are. Well, it's the, it's the three, three major labels. It's the three bi- have, yeah, the all, three. Yeah, all the three major labels all have their offices within a, I, within 15 minutes of each other. Well, then why? I just wish that they, you know, I just, and I wish they would have done this years ago. Like, why don't they do what Spotify is doing? Why don't they try no. to, the Jimmy Iovine thing? You know, like, why, why aren't they trying to take over? Spot, my point is like Spotify should never happen to begin with. Okay. So uh, I, here, here would be my insight on this. Uh, not less. Two summers ago, uh, I was dating a girl who worked at Spotify. And I'm just going to go out there and put this one out there. The level of intelligence of who I've met who works at Spotify and who I talk to at Spotify compared to the average person at a major label is like the difference between a kindergartner and a graduate student. The reason they don't do it is the brain trust is that's not who I mean Spotify is not staffed by like record people who like I mean it is staffed by people who worked at major record labels, but they're doing very record label functions. The people who are doing strategy there are Harvard Business School analysts and right. things like that. Data and guys. Have, yeah, and you just have I know like yes, like at Atlantic we have analysts. Um but you know, I mean I see analyst jobs on every uh, major label thing on LinkedIn, but like it's not operating at the same level of brain trust. And like, sure. I mean, I mean, actually like if, let's technically think about this. Vivo was created by Warner. Am I correct? Um, that would sound right. I mean, Warner usually start, um, they're like the umbrella I mean, they, for a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, they, Warner Music Group. Warner, or, or, yeah. Uh, Vivo owns Atlantic. Obviously we're in the same office. Uh, and like, you know, uh, they have tried their hand on it, but let's be honest, Vivo has basically been obsolete, especially when YouTube just consolidated the profiles and everything. It's basically been rendered like you guys fucked up and we won. Mm. Right. Well, so, I mean, why don't they do it? I don't think they're, they're very good at it. And you know, the other thing is too, is no one wants to see this catalog segmentation. I think it would also be antitrust if any of them actually did it in one. I mean, Spotify is going to have to deal with antitrust at some point anyway. Like if they really, really... I'm too dumb. Ex- explain paid, what you mean by that. I'm too dumb. What do you mean? So let's say, let's say Spotify wins the day and cripples Apple just the way Microsoft crippled Apple and had to give them money to br- bring them back to life in, what was that, their early 90s? If Spotify actually does this thing where they sign artists, they hedge their artists, they do the thing where everybody decides, no, I need a subscription to Spotify. Apple's fucking trash because they're making the worst original content of all time. And 
they run Apple down to, I think it's like 12%, something like that. They run it basically down to that they have no user base and they win this battle. The government could actually step in and break them up. I mean, this happened to Microsoft mm. because of the way they behaved towards Netscape right. in the 90s. Yeah, Bill Gates, yeah. Right, because it was so, too much of, an, of, a, of a monopoly. At, yes, at the that's day, exactly. Right? Antitrust and monopoly is synonymous, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's a weird, weird bet for them to place, but I think, uh, you know, the news really likes to get into that Mark Zuckerberg philosophy of uh, move fast and break things. Mm-hmm. I, You know, a lot of Spotify's DNA comes from Facebook employees. I think they're moving fast and breaking things and they'll repair it along the way. Right. What's the expression? Um, uh, something like do something and ask for permission later. Yes. That's the same, same philosophy. Yes. Well, it's, it's a, it's a wild world, man. I don't know. I mean, you work for a a medium, I guess, technically major ish label now that they. Yeah. I kind of, what are they saying around the office? I, I have my head in the sand when it comes to sort of the, um, a lot of like the just the politics and the business end of it. I, I'm kind of a really bad record label employee because if we start brainstorming like marketing ideas and, uh, you know, if if numbers get involved, I just don't care. It's I kind of have the job that I have now and the and the skill set that I have because it was always it's what I did in order to fuck off and, and not have to pay attention to like the real world stuff. So mm-hmm. I, you know, they might be like, okay, so this label's doing this. Maybe we do this. And I'm like, yeah, you just tell me what to design and I'll do that. Cause that's what I enjoy. I yeah, think I that some of the, um, the, just the minutia of all of that, all of those monotonous things. I just, I start to fall asleep. Yeah. Well, that's probably what makes you a good creator. Cause those are definitely two separate brains. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I Absolutely. can, I can feel it. I can literally, I'll, I'll be inspired by something visually and I feel how stimulating that is. And then I'm put to sleep by the the other end of it, and I can feel how just drowsy and uninterested I am. Yeah. Well, Jesse, um, give us a um, you know, assume the audience doesn't know anything about it. So, to talk about the new podcast that you've been doing. Uh, so the one that is out so far is called Inside the Album. Uh, Atlantic was gracious enough to kind of say here's access to a bunch of artists who just made records. Obviously this comes from a PR thing of like, we want you to go in and do it. And, uh, they kind of let me ask anything I want. They let me berate people until they told me the truth of the struggles and their artists making records. And then they let me put it out without editing, um, Mm. and paid me to do it and encouraged me to do it. Um, and they've been very big on like kind of exposing their DNA of what methodologies they've used to kind of, you know, I mean, they've been one of the biggest labels, one of the most influential labels. Absolutely. And now we're documenting why that is and the thoughts that have it. So Inside the Album is the second of our podcast, definitely the more, so far of the ones that are out, uh, the more exposing uh, of them. Uh, we have What I Say out as well which um is more like uh getting to know you artist stuff and then we have a couple new ones that'll get announced in the new year wow uh, that are even Jeez. more like me talking to the staff and like literally going in of like how did you break this band tell me the crazy you know tell me all about how you're paying 15 year old youtubers to create content for you 
tell me all about how a Instagrammer putting your meme in a video actually, uh, right. your song in a video happens without you doing content things and that you actually paid them to do that. We get into every little detail of like what's really breaking bands and what the methods we're using to do are. And uh, yeah, I'm so are you are you working on the post end of that stuff too? Are you just the host? I do the entire uh, thing. I like I write the questions. Um, mm-hmm. I work with under Tom Mullen, who's uh, head of catalog at Atlantic, who many people will know also as the uh, man behind Washed Up Emo um, and uh, that lovely podcast. And then Chris from Modern Vinyl uh, and I do all the uh, inner workings. Chris checks my work, gives me really good feedback, and then he does uh, a lot of the other stuff around it. It's dope, man. So yeah, how many episodes are off the uh, inside, what's it called? Inside the record? Inside the, inside the album. Inside the album, yeah. Uh, eight out now. The last of our season is with Jason Mraz, and that comes out uh, in two weeks. That's a monster, yeah. dude. That's a really yeah. huge guest, man. Congrats. I, I, That's I was, fucking dope. It was uh, very, very enjoyable to... You know, most of the artists in the season are very developing artists or even on just their, at most on their second release. Yeah, I noticed that. But it was interesting. It was really fascinating to hear them because I think that's actually more beneficial in many ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely way more interesting than what you do to kind of, not many people are in the shoes of like, how do I keep creatively reinventing myself on the seventh album? Right. It's much more interesting to hear about Wallow's kind of like, figuring out how they navigate being this band that a lot of people are into because the singer's cute and is on a TV show. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's like funny, I love that band. I actually think they make incredible music. And uh, it's a funny thing of like them trying to navigate, like how do we connect with audiences that aren't just people who are going to be like, oh, they got famous because that kid's famous. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who was the first, was Dashboard the first episode? That was the first episode, so yeah, and uh, I was really psyched that that was because it's really artist. good. Yeah, I'd be like, I've been, you know, into him forever, and appreciated a lot of his songs, um, and so it was like a very, it was also like very putting at ease. Like I, you know, I like I said something to him during the interview, and like he's like, "Holy shit, I never thought about that myself." I'm like, "Ooh, maybe I did too much research." Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, but I mean. Dashboard's a good example of um, a guy that, because he kind of came from the old days. You know, he's oh, been yeah, doing no, this for a long time. Definitely, like right before we started that interview, like we were talking about, like literally going to see this like terrible political punk punk band that all of us used to see back in the day, and we're like, oh man, have you listened to those records these days? Ooh, not so much. <laughs> right, right, right. That's cool, man. Um, so you also moved studios, right? I, think I, I did move studios. So um, for a, almost a year, uh, my landlord decided to refurbish our building and made it so I could barely work there uh, most of the time. So we moved to a studio I used to work at in Brooklyn and then fixed that up, or I should say are fixing it up since I'm sore from all the manual labor I did yesterday. Um, right. And uh, yeah, but we're making like really great sounding records that somehow like I'm like wow like we really actually upped our game already and it's not even near done and like it already like the records we're doing are already sounding way way cooler that's so, rad man that's yeah. so, that's so cool and that's um you're still in Brooklyn area 
Yeah, so uh, we actually moved from Union City, New Jersey, which is like right next to Midtown Manhattan, uh, over into Fort Greene, Brooklyn, which is right by where I live. It's kind of the center of, um, if you think of the areas where you think of um, people living in Brooklyn, um, what we like to call coastal Brooklyn, we are in the literal center of that. Oh, nice. I just watched a movie based in Brooklyn. What's the fucking name of the movie? It was the guy from Parks and Rec who plays like the libertarian guy. Um, oh, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. Probably a hard speed loud. Yeah, there you go. I, that's right. You're a movie I'm, guy. I'm a big movie guy. I've not watched that one yet, but I know of it. It's, dude, it's really good. I mean, it's a super like nice. heartwarming, you know, what a father daughter movie, but it, it's nice. It's done really well and it's done with music. You know, oh, nice. and like that, that is done almost never well. Like, you know, yes. movies that are based on music are usually yeah, just it really dog is shit. true. It's like you could count the number or uh, uh, the number of times on like one hand where it's not the like cheesiest shit on earth. Like yeah. Music. It's like, you know, like a movie like Frank or 24 Party People. Mm-hmm. I mean, even I watched uh, uh, How to Talk to Girls at Parties and it's cheesy a lot of it but i really like to there's one scene that's truly amazing but like yeah so kind of cheesy well some guy wrote he was like i i want to it's not the guy from spoon but uh, that kind of guy so it's like really kind of new wavy almost mm. 80 sounding um and it's based they're in red hook brooklyn yeah sure so red is. hook actually funny enough is the only neighborhood that doesn't have a subway and so it's oh. really good so like so it's like old uh, school it's like very desolate. You don't get a lot of douchebags, which is a real problem here these days. And like, um, there's a really good, there's like this one bar called Sonny's. It's like, you know, it's almost sacrilege to tell people about this because it's so great. But um, Beck's guitarist, Smokey Hormel, every Wednesday, like does a thing like where he gets like literally the best musicians like in New York City to come in and jam and play like the craziest. You know, I don't even know like what to call the music and genre because it's so weird. <laughs> And uh, it's not weird, like avant-garde experimental noise. Like you're like, this has melody rhythms. I've never heard These guys are just all on such an insanely high level of musician that they can like literally make something new out of improv. And it's like, it's really crazy, but That's like, rad. there's lots of really special places in Red Hook. Um, I try to go once a week when it's warm, but because uh, getting out there takes quite a effort uh, when it's cold here. Yeah, I was just going to ask you. I mean, it's kind of a dumb question. Like, how's the weather? But I was very curious. <laughs> yeah, like, how... what's the weather like right now? Is it windy and uh, cold and awful? When we, when we get done with this, I have to walk for 15 minutes to an event. And um, I will be miserable for all 15 minutes of that. Um, it is 30 degrees oh. with a fucking hellish wind. Oof, fuck. Um, even in my apartment, like this morning, it's like, I'm like, did I leave the window open? It's like, no, it's just beating in through outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I stayed, uh, we, we played a show in New York. This was a long, I was like 18 years old and we, we played a show in Manhattan and we stayed at someone's loft in Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. I remember it being so cold that like, I, I mean, I still, to this day, I've never experienced that kind of cold. It was yeah. fucking awful. And because there was no light anywhere. Like the, the whole neighborhood that I was in was just surrounded by these old red brick loft buildings that just swallowed mm-hmm. up the sunshine. So from that morning like to night, you were, you were where I live. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was beautiful. Like the loft was so mm-hmm. kick ass and you know, it was fucking dope. Who is texting me? And I thought I turned that off. Um, uh, but yeah, 
I, I well, love Brooklyn. It's dope. Well, then all I'll say is if this cold was bad, then don't go to Chicago or Minnesota. Yes. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. I've experienced some cold Chicago, windy, awful winter days as well. Ireland is pretty brutal too, too. Because mm, yes. the entire country is so for reference, um, Oregon, the state of Oregon is like 90,000 plus square miles, right? Uh-huh. And the entire country of Ireland, including Northern Ireland, is like 30 something thousand mm-hmm. square miles. So the state of Oregon is much larger than all of Ireland, and Ireland's an island. So it's basically a coastal vibe everywhere you go. Even if you're in the middle of the country, it's still coastal. That's it's crazy. like being on the beach. I had no idea. So it's always windy, always misty, always. It's a different kind of cold there, man. Ugh. Brutal. It, it, it's funny to like to get those perspectives. Like I always try to do the thing of like you know like uh, memorizing the state's populations, and you remember like when one state is doing something, you're like, wow, like right. You're like more people live in my neighborhood in just what's called like my neighborhood than all of Wyoming. That is nuts. Right. Like not Brooklyn, not all of Brooklyn, all of my neighborhood. Dude, I love (laughs) that kind of, I love perspective like that. I think it's super important to give perspective in that way because I mean, like uh, someone told me that all of Los Angeles or maybe it's all of California. Mm -hmm. I think it's all of California has more people than the entire country of Australia. That's probably true. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just, that's, that's bonkers. That's fucking, that's important to know. Yeah. That gives you perspective. Yeah. And America is just knowing, so big. And it's even knowing the thing that uh, California's economy separated off from uh, the rest of the country where it would still be the th- biggest economy in the world. Right. Yeah. I, I know. It's, it's, it's insane. insane. <laughs> yeah, it's I, so I, crazy. But it helps you, you get that perspective when you're trying to think of like when somebody's giving you bullshit data, you got to know those things. Yeah, and I think most of the people that give you that bullshit data are the ones that have never done any traveling, which is yeah. very common for Americans. The uh, Dunning-Kruger effect of uh, yes. the, the dumbest people always shouting the opinion the loudest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely world we live in. A lovely world. <laughs> so what's the status on Jesse Cannon, the author? What have you been working on these days? Uh, nothing. I have nothing to write about right now. Uh, oh, that's not I actually, true. I liked your writing, man. I want to write an article that's, uh, stop asking who's the next Nirvana, start asking who's the next Brockhampton. Oh, but, that'd be great. Uh, uh, I'm wondering if it's a better YouTube. So I'm kind See, of that like, might be the answer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. the reason I'm not writing is I'm thinking a lot about doing things that explain things better than another medium article or another article on i think we're just getting to the point that uh short articles are getting boring books have a place but can you do it all better in an app or in youtube right. like i'm even becoming one of the other reasons i'm not writing is uh i've become convinced my first book is a better app than it is a book Interesting. And, uh, I'm trying to think about what that looks like, and is it really as easy as I think it would be to translate that? So, didn't uh, you do like, um, did you do column writing for magazines at one point, or am I thinking? Oh yeah, yeah, I wrote a lot for Hypebot, Alternative Press, yeah. Property of Zach, 
uh, Party Smasher, tons of others. Oh, cool. um, Party Smasher. Wasn't that uh, Ben from Dillinger? Yes. Yeah. I miss um, those days, man. Fuck. I was such a yeah. rock mag- magazine dork back in the day. Yeah, I mean, it was really fun when there was a lot of... Uh, I mean, I think the funny thing is, is there is still that stuff going on, but there's a lot more... I think we're just in this lull where a lot of writing that's not critique and commentary on society it's like there is something to read about any everything you want to do in a pretty straightforward way and also things have just gotten easier like you know like you guys know it like you're working with music it's like it used to be this thing of like if you wanted to get a widget put onto a fucking website you might have to learn 10 different skills and now it's just like okay here's the graphic hit upload oh it's done cool like even just getting a reverb nation player on a fucking Facebook thing used to require me writing a 10 paragraph tutorial. Like unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so I think there's just not as much of a need, but um, yeah, I am not writing because uh, I think there's going to be better things to do than write. I mean, if you think of it this way, like my last book or my second to last book, get more fans. What, People, I've realized, you know, the book's been out six years now. So people don't have trouble reading it. What they have trouble with is when do they do this? How do they put this in your life? And how do you figure out what's important to do? Okay. So I'm more thinking about, like, how do you lead that? Because, like, books can't answer that for you. But apps can make you habits and calendars. Mm. So Almost like, how do you integrate that same information, but with a current version of the way that people digest information and how can they apply that to a realistic updated in real time way? Is that kind of another way of putting it? Yeah. But even just like things like this of like, um, should you start worrying about, did you get everything to online radio when you haven't made all the graphics you need for your upcoming tour? Right. Like, here's priorities of what you should be doing. Here's even release methodologies. Like, so many people, like, so, like, one of the things I've been talking about a lot lately, and a lot of people, especially with the 1975 record coming out, have really, really expressed as, like, you know, the band was releasing singles almost six months in advance, though, which is, like, becoming a very common thing. Like, I think very. even two years ago, the Menzingers, it was, like, a four or five month lead up mm-hmm. on their record. And, um, What's we're going to keep seeing over and over and over again now is that like, you know, like I think of that band Pale Waves on Dirty Hit is they basically released a audio video, a lyric video, a music video every two to three weeks for 18 months. And then they really they elevated themselves from a band that was playing 200 seat venues to a band that's playing 1800 seat venues. And. New York City, and you know, some of it is also good songs and good placements, but like there is this constant content thing, and a lot of people don't get how to even plan that and integrate that into their lives. And I think that method is just going to keep getting more exploded and trying to get people to understand how that's changed, I think is a lot more of like, here's all the planning you have to do beforehand if you want to do this, and here's the habits you have to get in if you're going to do this. Like that, you're yeah. going to be putting out something every three weeks. This is due on this day. And you got to learn how to get people to deliver deliverables to you on that schedule and be planning this far in advance. 
Yeah. I mean, you see that stuff all the time, Alan. Yeah, that's the, a huge point of the, the lineup. Yeah, it's it's an enormous part of it, and uh, it is incredibly difficult for people to execute as well as just uh, understand. You know, to Jesse's point, like I think a lot of people they don't they don't realize that that's sort of the modality nowadays. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's it's what I notice. It's the challenge for all the bands that I talk to. You know, whether it's setting up stateside deals with any of the producers I work with and represent or just buddies that I know they're still in bands. It's, it's shocking to me how like antiquated people still are. Like people still think, okay, I'm going to make a 12 song full length record. And all they talk about is like pressing it. And I'm just like, there's so many things that you're not. Oh, every now and then I'll get a Facebook message from somebody that they saw somewhere that I work at rise and they asked me if if I have any tips for uh, what to include in a press kit, <laughs> and That's, I'm like, yeah. I, I don't even know how to begin telling you that you're just you're not even on the right road. Can, can I tell you what to tell them? Yeah, a, a time machine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Back to Make the coolest press kit ever, then build a time machine, hop in it, and <laughs> deliver that press kit. How are bands being discovered today by labels? I mean, I have to admit, I'm not even sure if I know. If it's uh, if it's not the press kit, is it just a you know like organic thing? I'll tell you. I'll tell you the most interesting thing I see of people, whether it's who I work with or it's people I know, is on a higher end, on a major label end, it is all uh, apps that are tracking plays uh, mm-hmm. on the streaming networks that they're using their APIs and saying, look at how much this just shot up. And there is numerous apps. I have them all written down in a document at some point to look at when I'm less busy over the holidays. But there's at least three apps that do this that A&R pays for to have. On the smaller end of things, I think it's all at this point uh, pretty much world of, word of mouth Like at this right. point. You know, um, you know, what's funny is doing even these documentaries and, you know, I even have been doing like... Uh, I do some freelance development work where like um, management companies are like, we want to tell this artist's story. We're looking for somebody to help us with a narrative and I'll consult on that. When I look at how those artists came into these things, it's just always relationships at this point. Um, you know, the, the days of the MySpace thing that somebody was scrolling through, I think that's getting... Less and less. I mean, it's even like a funny thing of like, you know, you see these labels, like we're back to the, the days of the development deal of like, I see artists that labels are throwing money at that really only have one or two songs, but mm-hmm. what they have is a vibe on Instagram and they mm-hmm. can kind of rap or kind of sing. And then it's like, okay, well, this is who you're going to do it. And you know that somebody's going to fix it up in the studio well enough. How um, do you feel about that? I think that's always how pop. So if you think of what pop music was in the 80s, in the Madonna era, it would be like there's this great story. So I'm uh, one of the weird quirks of my personality is I'm very obsessed with um, early Madonna era copycat singers. It's, it's it's actually like a book dash movie I want to make so badly. That's got to be a niche group. Oh, that's it's, so not, it's not though. There's like because what you learn when you're in New York for long enough, and like I particularly like going to a particular type of bar where you're gonna get 
somewhat old people, but not like the old factory worker, but the person who is the fucking party animal in the 80s who will tell you their life fucking story. And what you see time and time again is like Tanya literally was signed and in the studio with all the people who wrote Madonna's songs, but she was just a fucking shitty Madonna. And uh, right. so uh, it's a funny thing that there's just all these people like this is no different than it used to be. What is different now is that like, I think it's just a little bit more reprehensible when it's like, Oh, well, we saw this person get popular, whereas before it was like, well, we'll take a chance. She's like the girl that everybody looks at in the club because she dresses well and has a fun personality. And that's what Madonna was. Yeah, I mean, it's but, it's hilarious that like, because I actually, but I like the development thing. I like that people can still be discovered, you know, and like, because like even Gaga, Lady Gaga was discovered and developed and so I think that's really exciting. I just think there is a negative connotation to like the SoundCloud rapper and the Instagram vibe band that like that's why they get discovered. I don't know. I don't know if it's like shallow or something about it just leaves a bad taste well, in my mouth. Less investment into the craft. Like I think the biggest problem a lot of people get with the SoundCloud rapper is it really isn't a lot of skill compared to other things. Mm. And like... I think there's always been this moment, like a jazz musician heard the Ramones and wanted to fucking blow their braids out. Um, and what it is now is like you hear Lil Xan and you go, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I fucking hate um, that guy. Yeah, and it's like, you know, if you want to talk about talent, but we have to remember music's an emotion. These people are good at creating an emotion that other people are connecting to that they want to feel. and it's just hard when it doesn't seem to have taken that 10,000 hours to get there. Then you see a group like 1975 who you're seeing them do something that's so much more advanced than almost anybody can do. Like people can't copy them easily at all because they are so far beyond what other people are doing. And then you go, "Mm, well, it seems like our society should reward that. That makes our meritocratic brains work well. Yeah. God, what a weird fucking time for music. Is a, is a real word, but I'm going to go with it. Merito- merito- yeah, I'm going to go with it. Meritocracy-loving mer- mer- brains. There we are. <laughs> I feel like with the whole SoundCloud rapper thing, like, because that is, uh, my mind is blown with with all that shit. Just when I think that, like, we saw the goofiest, like, clowniest individual get, you know, 100 million YouTube views in 24 hours, another one comes out and is even more successful. And I feel like, a lot of that reason is because you know 20 years ago you would get people that wanted to be signed because they had a message or a voice or whatever they just want to get their music out to as many people as possible and there was maybe slightly more uh, of course it was still financially motivated and and they wanted the celebrity and all that but now it almost feels like these soundcloud rappers are kind of raising their hands and they're like you can exploit me like let people tear me apart in the YouTube comments. I'm just trying to get that fame. And they they know what it is right out of the gate and they're totally okay with it. You know, that is the interesting thing of like, you know, like if you take that like um, theory, like I think it's like the Brett Easton Ellis thing of like that we're in this post-empire world that you no longer hide the behind the scenes from people. So the facade is lifted and now everybody who actually was craven and like, 
opportunistic. And that was just like, fuck yeah, I am. What shame is there in this? Aren't we all trying to do it? Like we're living in like such a capitalistic hellhole that people feel there should be no shame in that. Like I'll fuck my best friend over for money. I will do anything for this fame. I got to get mine. And, you know, like when people talk about like why Trump happens, it's like, well, people want to see certain people push down because they think they're going to go upwards. And that's why people smile and clap when fucking people get deported and, uh, you know, families are separated and all these horrible things we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely true. That that seems like just the vibe overall is, you know, Trump is the the SoundCloud rapper of politicians. Yeah, that's a quote. <laughs> that <is> so good. <laughs> if you don't title something that, right. oh my god, that's so good, man. I'm gonna use that clip. I'm gonna edit it. That was organic too. I literally just realized it as I was saying it. Oh, that wait, wasn't yeah. rehearsed that, or anything. That, that was great. That was fucking uh, good, man. And, and I have to say, I think it's accurate. Yeah, I think it's absolutely. Accurate too. Um, god damn. But, you know, here's the other thing I'll say. And this was uh, actually like part of my speech at the URF thing is like, I don't like to get all of the negative because like, I think everything now is um instead of like a downward trajectory, I think there's like two things that it's like, it's actually just the middle is less interesting. Right. So what you have is let's call Takashi 69s fucking lack of fucking talent, just bombastic look at me shit the lowest of the low. And I actually, uh, you know, there's a song or two I like. It's fine. Um, I think there's better people in the SoundCloud rap genre. But, sure. And then let's call um, all the amazing art that's happening, which particular is uh, to me, you know, like I've been to three movies this year. I've cried at how good they were. And like, you know, the new 1975 and tons of other people are making like, better, more interesting and complex and evolved art than we've ever seen because they've been able to take it and soak up so much of the other art that's happened and make really insanely beautiful things. Like when I saw Sorry to Bother You this year, no one could have made that until now. And it's more evolved message as more layers than almost any movie I've ever seen in my life. And it's made by a first time filmmaker. Wait, which one is that? Sorry to Bother You. I know I'm drawing a blank. I, I think I saw it. So it's a uh, Boots Riley from the coup. Oh, who, yes, 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 yes. Fuck yeah. that one. So Jesus he, Christ. He, I can't he, believe he made that. that and uh, yeah, it's it's have uh, you seen that? I haven't seen that. I'm intrigued, though, dude. It's so uh, good. I, 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 yeah, a, a movie of the decade, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah, dude. This was so dude, the ending. How about that ending? Eh? <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 all around every I would go as far as say not a wasted moment in that movie. Right. I would agree. What's the uh, genre? Would you call the genre? Dharma, uh, dark comedy, drama, uh, revolutionary, uh, sci-fi. I mean, it has a, and also art house because, I mean, it's as arty as Welcome to uh, uh, Eternal Sunshine or uh, mm-hmm. being John Malkovich. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fucking insane, but... No, when I say arty, not the plot. The plot, while it does have very big deviations, so many art house movies, like, you know, I saw The Favorite this week. I mean, there's no fucking plot at all. I just watched Beyond the Black Rainbow. There's no fucking plot. Like, this has more plot than five movies combined. I heard that movie's really crazy. It, someone said it, it's like uh, Mandy. 
Which oh, I Mandy seen. though is incredible. But yeah, it's the I same still haven't seen year. Mandy. I want to. Oh, dude, that's what. So why I was saying the three of the best movies of the decade were made this year. Uh, in my opinion, it's uh, Mandy, Suspiria, and Sorry to Bother You. Jeez, I am way behind. Okay, let's watch this thing. I'm just out here surviving. And what I'm doing right now won't even matter. Oh, baby, baby, it will always matter. Oh. you said you fixed that. Get a room. I got a room, motherfucker. <laughs> hey, Cash, how much longer I got to wait for my money? God made this land for all of us. Greedy people like you want to hog it to yourself and your family. And Me and my family? Yeah. Cassius, I'm your f***ing uncle. I just really need a job. 40 on two. This is telemarketing. Stick to the script. Hey, hello. Uh, Mr. Davison, Cassius Green here. Sorry to bother. Let me give you a tip. You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. My white voice? I'm never talking about Will Smith's wife. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Langston from Regal View. <laughs> As always, we'll be getting that out to you right away. You're doing so good with the voice thing. Holla, 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 holla. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Hell yeah. You're going upstairs, Power Caller. They even have their own elevator. Welcome, Power Caller. I hope you did not masturbate today. We need you sharp and ready to go. Hey, I'm full trying to name Mercury. Yeah, I'm going to get you popping like Percocet. I got promoted. I'm a power caller. What do they sell? They're not selling what we sell. No, well, there's no amount of money that'll make me do that. Here's the starting salary. Well, man, I'm gonna have to get me some new suits. Whatever I wear, no, I'm here to be clear. It is morally emaciated. I can't ride with you. I'm doing something I'm really good at. Cash, I'm gonna make you a proposal. I can see that you want to say no, but I wouldn't do that before you see what I'm offering you. You are awesome. Oh, yeah. All right. Some for the homies and some for me. Hell, yeah. That's right. So good. That looks incredible. Yeah, dude. Highly recommend that one. Yeah. It's sure. like um, you said Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind earlier, right? Yes. That's what yes. it, it reminds me of Michelle Gondry, Spike Jones. That type of vibe. Did you see though? What he what he tipped the hat on that? Did you notice it? No. So you know when Army Hammer shows him the video, and it's all it's super super Michelle Gondry. It says a movie by, and it says something like Michael Chaudry, and like <laughs> basically it's like, oh. this, this is yes, this is who I'm referencing. Yes, I this man highly influenced me. What is the name of that actor again? Army something? Uh, Keith Stanfield. No, the the one you said, Army something. Uh, Army Hammer. Army oh. Hammer. Yeah, that's that's His a real name, name too, right? Is Army Hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently an heir to the Ugh. Arm and Hammer fortune too as well to make his no. name stupider. You're kidding me. Well, You're making that up. My, friends, my, my friend told me that. We can double check that. Dude, that's fucking... God damn it. I, <laughs> I can't take that. Names like that just blow my mind. Well, you know, um, rich white people 
they really uh, know how to fuck up a name if anybody's ever known how to do it. Oh, God, did you hear about the most recent uh, white name? A, a white mom named her white daughter A-B-C-D-E. A-B-C-D-E. Yeah, it's, pronou- it's pronounced Absidy. Fuck yep. off. Saw, Just go that. fuck yourself. Love it. Okay, it, it, it is true God that he is related to the Arm & Hammer fortunes. Jesus Christ. That doesn't yeah. even seem real. That makes me so uncomfortable that that fact exists. Yeah. But you know, you know, like that's the thing, like what Jesus Amaro called caucasity, like when you really just like you're gonna out white all the other white people. <laughs> Chiefs real high caucasity. That that's what that name is right there. Out white all the other white people. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Like you, you, yeah. you know, you're you're gonna go in and get your fucking Kale Telegio smackdown real fast. <laughs> Fuck that. Well, now that we're on the movie pick, if you remember, Jesse, I'm a huge movie guy, and every yeah, mo- every week I do a movie pick of the week, mm-hmm. and this one I'm going to do Spotlight, which is a couple years old, as we all know, uh, but I just recently watched it again the other night, and mm-hmm. um, it's not that I forgot how good it was, but I kind of forgot how good it was. Like, this fucking movie, it hit me just so profoundly again, and I, I forgot how poignant it was have you seen this alan i have not highly recommend it um, damn good movie especially in these times yes yeah oh god oh shit the fact that the church keeps getting things. away with everything you cannot tell me but also know there's a story here and i think everybody will hear about it do you think your paper has the resources to take that on i do do you Boston priests molested kids in six different parishes over the last 30 years. The church found out about it and did nothing. We haven't committed any long-term investigative resources to the case. No, we haven't. And that's the kind of thing your team would do. Yeah, I'm sold. I'm into it. It's funny, too. Guys, listen. Everybody's going to be interested in this. Obviously, the church will fight us very hard. Trying to get some background information. I don't want you recording this in any way, shape, or form. Nothing. We understand you've settled several cases against the church. I can't discuss that. There aren't any records of any of these settlements. Nope. When you're a poor kid from a poor family, and when a priest pays attention to you, it's a big deal. How do you say no to God? Spotlight. This is the tip line. You think he's got something? I want to keep digging. We need to focus on the institution. Show me that it came from the top down. Don't try to silence anyone who speaks out. You leave me alone, you hear me, goddammit? 6% act out sexually. 6% is 90. 90 priests. If there were 90 of these bastards, people would know. Maybe they do. You're going to give me the names and the names of their victims. Are you threatening me? I was doing my job. Yeah, you and everyone else. I am here because I care. We're going to tell this story. We're going to tell it right. I'm hoping we can keep this between us until we all get on the same page. Is that why we're here, to get on the same page? We've got two stories here. A story about degenerate clergy and a story about a bunch of lawyers turning child abuse into a cottage industry. Which story do you want us to write? Because we're writing one of them. I'm not crazy. They control everything. This is not just Boston. It's a whole country. It's a whole world. They knew and they let it happen. It could have been you. It could have been me. It could have been any of us. Ladies and gentlemen, Spotlight.
go check it out. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, Jesse, it, it's just it's maddening that if this if a scandal like that were happening to Apple or Google or some big corporation, you would or Facebook or something, you'd think that people would fucking shut it down. People would do something about it. But for some reason, the Catholic Church has this just fucking eons of a history of sexual abuse and rape. Let's just call it what it is. Raping little kids. Oh, it's, it's rape. And, but, I, you know... It's, it's nuts. I think what's interesting is, is like... So, like, one of my best friends is, like, a Pulitzer Prize winning. He uh, did the uh, Edward Snowden stuff. He did a lot of the reporting on that. Oh, wow. And, uh, so, but there's, like, an interesting thing of that... There's always these things, and you know they're happening. You can't even get an, enough evidence for it. You know, like he's famous for there's this thing called um, Home and Square. Are you guys familiar with this? Mm-mm. No. No one even knows about this, and yet it's reported, factually true, acknowledged, exists. There is literally a park in Chicago where they disappear Americans. And it has not gotten the thing. And there's apparently one in Los Angeles and New York that they just can't prove because they can't get enough people to come forward like they did with Chicago. And it really, what I think is so remarkable is injustice of the society takes uh, Americans finally being ready to swallow the pill. Because like, what they don't tell you in Spotlight is how often this was in the papers before this. Like, it, it's not yeah. as fun to, to make it like there wasn't reports of the, you know. They kind of mention called. it, but you're right. Yeah, they, they, they don't say how often it really was being reported. Like, if you think of, like, what they, what the spotlight reporters really did is they found a compelling way to say to people, like, if you think about what our fears are in life is, like, you know, I'm irrationally afraid of flying planes, even though I know the statistics at times. I get a little nervous, even though it's much more dangerous for me to ride my bike in midtown Manhattan, even though that's not very dangerous. You don't statistically put it, and when you start to say, hey, this could be happening in your backyard, and it looks like it actually already is. People go, oh, that percentage, and they finally listen. And that's actually what's compelling. But boy, that is not as good a, uh, what do you call it, dramatic note to hit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the thing with movies. You know, they, they're not doing a documentary. They have to make it yes. exciting and pull people in. And, um, but yeah, it's just, it's fucking, it's, and it's so crazy, like the individual you know, how much it affects an individual, not just the person, like it'll ruin someone's life, right? Your whole like sexual identity and how you think about sex. You know, there's three dudes sitting here. We've been, we've been asked and we've talked about losing our virginity. You know, where that comes up, like, yeah, old were you when you lost your virginity? The first time you fucked. That's casual Mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. But to be someone that has to, every time that's asked of you, you have to recall when you were a fucking nine-year-old that you lost your virginity to a fucking priest that raped you. Somehow I like, never thought of it like that. And you know what I'm saying? Got into me. Holy shit. That's exactly. And, and kids to grow up hardcore Catholic like that, that is basically God. A priest mm-hmm. is sanctioned from God. God speaks mm-hmm. to him. It's a part of your family. You know, it is a, a real honor to have a priest like notice a kid and, bring them up and elevate them, choose them to be an altar boy. Like in the Catholic church, that's a really big deal. And then yeah. to have that person that you think of as like, as like a godly person rape you like, dude, fuck man. Yeah. 
I know. And somehow that they made that movie entertaining and funny and lighthearted. That's a really hard thing. You know, it's it's funny because we were just saying, oh, well, documentaries. But, like, you know, it's, like, a funny thing. Like, I've been working on so many documentaries in the last, like, year and a half. And, like, there is the thing of, like, when the accuracy goes away. Like, you know, it's a funny thing. Did you guys watch uh, Wild Wild Country? Yes. I saw a few episodes. I don't think I finished it. So, So uh... That's here in Oregon, Jesse. As you both see, the funny thing is the first part of it is in the town I grew up in. Uh, so when they're in New Jersey oh. in the first part of that, that is literally five minutes. Uh, like, it's not the town I grew oh, up in. Oh, right. Five minutes from my Before childhood. they go to that ranch. That's right. Before they go to the East. ranch, they're, they're right. She's going to Montclair State University. I grew up next to Montclair State University. They're at this place called Kipps Castle, which is mm. five, a whole five-minute walk from my childhood home. Um, so... And, the point being, though, is like there's all sorts of things like, you know, like what they didn't even get into, like that, you know, like if you read some of the behind the scenes, like when the Bogwan takes his uh, bow, bow of silence, you know, literally he just said it, it was because he was tired of talking to all the women he was fucking. Right. <laughs> and hearing their problems. Yeah. So his, his bow of. His vow of silence was just like, yeah, I'm tired of talking to these hoes. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> yeah, he was you know, a real like, piece of shit. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like my father said, like, uh, you know, like Sheila would be on 2020 or whatever dateline. And she'd be like, no, we are not a sex cult. We do not even drink or partake in alcohol. And he would literally be like at the liquor store, seeing them try to put as many kegs into the backseat <laughs> they could get in there and everything. And it's like, you know, you're trying to tell a story, but you also don't always have all the time to check the facts and really tell the sure. full, full story. Yeah. Well, it's like the, uh, the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, I, I, I don't think I'm going to do that one. So I saw it and, uh-huh. you know, we talked about it on the show. It's, mm-hmm. it, it is everything I thought it would be. It's very vanilla. You know, they, they, yeah. it's, it's more like a family movie in a way. Like everyone can go see it, yeah. which is fine, whatever. But to their credit, like it's not a documentary. And there was a lot of criticism of like, well, that's not what exactly happened. And the conversation really went like this and. But that's not the point of making a movie. If you're going to do a documentary, you need to be a little, definitely more accurate. But with movies, you're you're trying to capture like the the vibe of what happened, right? Like the bigger picture story. And so anyway, that that's like my critique, but also the defense of the movie. Um, you know, it's yeah. a tough thing. You know, I work a lot with the Misfits manager, who also does. Uh, he manages some of the estates of the Ramones too. And I can remember when the CBGB's movie came out, you know, like the most disappointing thing actually about it is not that it's like the most horrifically bad acting performances aside from uh, Sting's daughter as Patty Smith, who's incredible, but the rest of them are like possibly the worst portrayals of any living human of all time. (laughs) But it's more that they just destroy actual history that's important to a thing of like, as if like, Hilly Crystal named the Ramones, I think is like one part of it. And it's like, that's not what fucking happened. Like, come on. Like everybody knows this history or should know this history. And now you're going to tell a tale that's going to be on Netflix and teach people something that's totally fucking false. Yeah. That's annoying. You're fucking lazy. And right. I think there is a responsibility to it, but like with Bohemian Rhapsody, I think it's like the usual critique of like every one of these movies is like, Oh, it's not exactly. It's like, yeah, they're telling the story, like, get over it. Yeah. I just think, you know, when you fire Sasha Baron Cohen and say that, you know, it's like, I, I would have seen the Sasha Baron Cohen movie. I, I love Rami Malek, too. Yeah. Mr. Robot's my favorite TV show of all time. But so I've never seen it. I've only heard good things. That's my, that's my fave. Really? 
Not a, but I think that's the smartest TV show to ever be on TV by nearly double. Whoa. Like Strong that words. and Mad Men, I think, are on levels that are above uh, everything else. I would say Mad Men would be one. Uh, the West Wing, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, you know, do you ever listen to Chapo Trap House, the podcast? Mm-mm. Oh, wait, they say that again? Chapo Trap House? No, no. I thought you said the trap set, the drummer one. So they have, they are very, very, very popular podcast. They're the largest Patreon. Um, oh, cool. They, they make like a million dollars a year on Patreon Whoa. doing a podcast. That's fucking dope. Uh, so, but they have an episode I'd encourage you to listen to about that. What the West Wing is, okay. is the is this character of politics that everybody wants to believe is real. Yeah. It is nothing like how it actually works at all and nothing how people's brains and that the fantasy the West Wing has created is what's ruining our country. Interesting. It's very, uh, I, I have to tell you, because I went in as somebody who loved, I mean, I've watched the West Wing all the way through twice. I love that show and I walked out of it like, I'm still on that show anymore. Wow. Like because it's too hopeful or? Uh, you know, like here's a great example. Okay. Do you know the scene where Josiah Bartlett, and this is literally a scene I quoted to a hundred people probably in my life. He's Josiah like, is the president, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, the, so the point being, he goes into the West Wing. There's this homophobic right wing Christian mm-hmm. conservative in there. And he says, apparently you mistook this for your meeting of the monthly meeting of the tight asses club. Yeah. He's like, uh, you're not saying anything homophobic in here. What about your Bible? Your Bible says, you know, the tattoo thing, yeah. the passing cloth around, the two fabric thing. It's all contradictory. He's talking to that woman. Everybody yeah. loves that scene. Every time it goes on Facebook, it's seen. But there's a reason that scene doesn't convince anybody. And it's because what people are doing in their lives are finding things of meaning that are going to give them meaning to what their own pathologies already are. So if you're a hateful person and you need to pretend that somehow gay marriage makes your marriage less special when you're probably cheating on your fucking husband and wife or wife anyway, you're going to use this as an excuse and your myth is not going to get ruined. And everybody thinks that if like the Christian just hears that there's hypocrisy within the Bible and that there's contradicting things. And as if this whole fucking story about a fucking ark wasn't a bunch of crock of a shit that everybody knows can't happen. Somehow, if you just bring more logic and reason to people, they'll change their views. And those mm-hmm. people are never changing their views because what they're using is stories to justify their shitty, shitty hatreds and technologies because they can't deal with what's inside their shitty brains as it is. So the scene in the West Wing is not going to convince a bigot. Is another way of saying it. Yeah, I mean, I th- no one Chapo Trap House is very large point is like their book is literally called an argument against logic and reason, which is a hilarious thing to title uh-huh. a book, obviously. Um, Clearly, and it's really that. Um, I'm sorry, somebody's at the door. Oh, yeah, go do your thing. This or- is the problem with your office is uh, uh, next to the front door. Oh yeah, you, you, get, yeah. You, get every, you, you get everybody's delivery uh, pounding on it when they don't show up. That's actually how the the Rise office is inside. It's in Beaverton now. It used to have a, a really cool office in Portland, and now we're in yes. Beaverton with a, a bunch of other uh, businesses. But they're mostly, um, you know, like we have a homeopathic uh, like doctor sort of next to us, and then next next to that is like a chiropractor and metropolitan pediatrics, and we are right by the front door, so. Which, ironically enough, so is the uh, the directory board. 
but everybody bypasses the directory board, comes in, interrupts us, and just goes, hey, where's 2.15? And that probably happens like twice a day. It's the worst thing ever. Homeopathic doctor sounds very Portland. Yeah. Oh, it so is. (laughs) Yeah, that's like the most Portland thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And you know what's funny is when I first heard that, I was like, oh, so that place just probably always looks closed. And it's probably the busiest thing in that building, which once again, very Portland. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing I know of people who leave here for Portland, they want that homeopathic doctor. Yep, yep. absolutely. Give them all the snake oil they can drink. Mm-hmm. It's true, it's true. <laughs> Gotta have that snake oil. Yeah. What does that even mean, a homeopathic doctor? It's just, you know. It means he doesn't give you Western medicine? Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't give you anything that'll fucking work. Yeah, no, nothing <laughs> that actually helps you. I mean, I, I, I will tell you, I'm a homeopathic type of guy, but... I will say this is that, you know, if there is, there, there is two things like, you know, like um, a lot of people will be like, wow, you know, there is so much money in grifting conservatives. Like you know, today, the Milo Yiannopoulos Patreon, oh. the saddest thing you've ever seen God. is like, you know, there was like a guy on there, like, I'm not paying for my chemotherapy, but I'm going to donate to you. And you're like, oh my God, dude, oh. come on. Like, That's brutal. Like, stop. Is that real? Stop. That was real. So, that was like even sad. It was so real it was like heart-wrenching someone didn't pay for their chemo and they donated to milo instead yeah it was like one of those things it was like it was like too sad to be funny type thing like it like (laughs) it hurt and uh and i bet he took the money but but on the left wing side there is this thing i i say this as a dude dog when i get sick and I, I should say this, I have not been sick in 2018, but because you know what I do with the second I get a sniffle, I drink oil of fucking oregano and then I get juice, garlic and uh, cayenne pepper and all these things. And I make a yeah. little soup and like, do you do I vinegar? Am, I, I, yeah, all the, all the things. Yeah. But, you know, th- then that's to prevent and that's to ease up. That's not to replace. Mm. And I get wanting to replace this because they're these pills are cons, but. You want to talk about how fucking the left wing gets fucking grifted? Whew. It is all in that fucking snake oil. The shit I hear on this neighborhood sometimes, I am like, you paid $300 for that, huh? I'll take it. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. Really that really worked. That's so funny. Yeah. So, fun yeah. times. I don't know of anything in that world that has ever really worked for me, but I haven't mm. tried a lot, to be fair. Um, uh, you know, it's the really good gateway drug. Um, if you get sick somewhat regularly, uh, the wellness pills at whole foods are like the greatest miracle that people start to be like, okay, I believe now. Is that what they're called? Uh, they're called wellness pills. They literally are called wellness pills, but you know, I will tell you this. I've never seen anybody who hasn't taken them who doesn't see like their health turn around really fast because oh. they like just are the right blend of bullshit that they work well. Damn. I, it's a lot of ca- cayenne pepper and garlic, which is good for your immune system and good for getting fucking uh, sniffles out of you. Yeah, exactly. Not um, really rocket science. Were you going to say something on? Yeah. Uh, so my, my biggest question for you, just kind of selfishly, because I, it, it's related to kind of me and how I, you know, I consider myself a pretty busy guy. What, what is your, what is, I guess, A, your, your work to life balance and B, what is, what is something that you, do you ever have moments where you know you are kind of overclocking in, in the work department and you purposely take like a two-week retreat from, from that? 
Uh, no two-week retreat. I haven't had two weeks off in... Is it true that I haven't had two weeks off in, like... I think I haven't had two weeks off in 10 years. Okay, yeah, I, I, I believe it. I think that's true. I think I, I was going to do that this year, and then I didn't do it. Um, so my work-life balance... Uh, you know, this is another thing I've wanted to write about. Uh, the number one thing I think I do that other people don't do is I don't chat. And I know not everybody can do it. Like, you're a manager, you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, I, when I'm doing a task, uh, do not do it really anything else. Um, you don't chat? Is that what you said? Like, so here's a great example. I work with, obviously, a lot of um, music business people. Um, they're on g chat yeah slack slack whatever the fuck it is not uh talking uh what do you call it uh not doing their job doing things bullshitting is important keeping in touch with your friends is important yeah i use that freedom thing on my computer whenever i have to do something that requires a lot of attention so here's another thing i distinguish my times when I have to be paying a lot of attention compared to when I have to be paying very little attention. So a great t- example of when I have to be paying um, a, uh, very little attention is like uh, when I'm exporting uh, IDs on a master or something, or if I'm like listening to make sure a kick trigger didn't go out of phase, I've been doing that for 20 years. I can hear the second when it doesn't go out of phase and I can text somebody during that. Right. Um, but when I need to be paying a lot of attention, so for example, a extensive documentary that's going out and this is the final listen, I use freedom to turn off everything around me. I use do not disturb. Um, what's freedom? I, what, what, what is freedom that? Freedom is a, a thing where you can tell it every website that you're bad with going to. So here's a great example of how it's funny. Cause a lot of people ask me like, what do you do to stay so productive? And I, you sound like such a horrible person when you say this. I don't work a lot. Like I really, really don't. I'm, you I mean, talked about this last time you, and yeah, your, I, your sleep thing is very interesting too. Like you sleep yeah. a lot. That's your secret. I, I remember I, you saying it, that. It, it's, I work when I work and I sleep so well that mm-hmm. when I'm working, I'm not sitting there doing shit. That's inefficient. I, 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 I will be totally straight with you. I sound like a horrible person. I says I slept 11 hours last night. I didn't no, set an alarm. That's great. I, I got up and like, until we did this, I, fully busted ass all day. I got tons of things out. I got tons of stuff that would have taken me a lot longer and used right. to take me a lot longer. I got to figure I, that out. I haven't yeah. slept 11 hours in as long as you haven't had two weeks off. <laughs> yeah. Like I never yeah. get more than seven hours now. Yeah. I mean, I, because I'm the opposite of you, Jesse, I, I have really, I'm very ADD, very hard time, like but, multitasking. Let me push back on this. ADD is a symptom of lack of sleep. So there is a downstream effect to this. I would agree. Um, um, so like my attention span, like literally I can't do a first draft on one of my inside the albums if I haven't gotten good sleep. So like, cause my attention will be so bad. I mean, I should say this, I can push through and do it. Uh, but I'm going to have so many errors because it takes so much attention to remember 
did somebody say the same thing here and here and here? And I fuck up and it, t- and it ends up taking more hours than it should. Right. Um, uh, I think there's that. Uh, you guys know the five minute rule from getting things done, right? Uh, no, maybe. Okay, so, so, the... so the book getting things done, the best book for this, I've probably read it every two years for the Tim Ferriss thing. It's not actually, uh, it's way before Tim Ferriss. This is a book from the nineties that like, but everybody cites it. like Tim Ferriss will tell you, this is one of the best books to ever read. And what's great is there's even a website. If you Google getting things done in 15 minutes, um, my ex-girlfriend actually chose to read that and it like changed her life. She's never read the full book and like watching her life before and after it. But so he has this thing of, uh, if it's going to take five minutes under five minutes, don't put it on your to-do list. Just fucking do it and stop thinking about it. Cause you're going to probably spend more than five minutes even reminding yourself about it. Oh, for sure. So yeah, that's, that's the five minute rule. So that's the five minute rules that you're going to keep thinking about doing that thing. I don't even allow myself to think about anything that takes under five minutes to do. And my other big thing is like a lot of people are like, Oh, I do this in the morning. I do this. A lot of people also are really good in the morning. I am terrible in the morning. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I do every single stupid fucking thing. The second I wake up a lot of time, I don't even get out of bed. I sit there, I'm on the phone with the cable company. I get every dumb thing in my life. I pay the bill that's fucked up. I call the customer service about the Pro Tools plugin that's not working. Whatever right. the hell it is. Get it done. I get it done. I don't put it on a list. If it's on a list, it's because like sometimes I remember when I'm out drunk at night, like, oh yeah, there's that thing. Da 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 da. what do you call it? Uh god damn it, this is the UPS guy. No, do your thing, man. Don't worry about it. We can always edit. Hi, you're outside? Uh, yeah. I'll be right there. All right, I am back. Uh, I have like 13 more minutes. Okay, perfect. Cool. Um, let's, let's ask this boy a couple quick. Oh, before, I want, what was that freedom thing you were talking about? Is that an okay, app so, or something you can run on your so computer? Yeah, freedom you have to pay, I think, like 20, 30 a month. Or, I'm sorry, a year. Uh, and it's worth every dime. And so what it is, is it literally will block anything you tell it to block uh and you put it on your on desktop a, yeah so i put it on my work computers it which good is it's not per computer it's for every computer um so you can put it on your computer and then you tell it how long you want it to block you from everything so i have that habit that facebook wants you to develop which is that i get bored or i'm waiting for something i hit the letter f and my browser goes to it um and uh I basically use this so that I don't have to uh, be a slave to that and then lose track of what I'm doing. So a lot of my day is spent in that. And then what I do is I write down on my to-do list all the things I need to do on social media. I need Mm -hmm. to wish Kathy a fucking happy birthday. I need to post about this record that came out today. I do that all at once. And then I'm not on um, my other big thing that like a lot of people like laugh at me about, uh, I go to a bar and I eat alone three nights a week. Um, and I, one, read all my social media for the day in that bar. And then two, I read all the articles I saved to read on the internet at one time. Wow. Um, I use Instapaper and I sit there. I have two beers. I'm usually done uh, doing all that. And it really puts it in so that it's just a relaxation, leisure time. And yeah, sometimes there's articles in social media I, I will read on the couch at night after I'm done working. But uh, but basically, you're you're good at 
just kind of knocking out all the noise around you, right? You just kind of limit just, all the extra sound. You slow down so much when you stop doing things. And then the other, I mean, the biggest thing is that that freedom app, honestly, is the thing of that we all know we do this is like, we are like waiting, like, you know, Gmail says, okay, sending and it's not sending for a second. You hit F and then you're reading Facebook and you're like, oh, five minutes gone. Well, that five minutes you would have been doing this. Um, yeah, that's that my problem. Like, I have a yeah. real big problem with that. Honestly, um, freedom doesn't even cure it. I hit the fucking F key constantly. And it's like, nope, you may not do that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, even that thing they just put in the iPhone of the limit and ignoring the limit, at least it disciplines you. What is this? God, I don't oh, know anything. So in, the new, in the new iOS, <laughs> you can limit how long you're on social media and it will literally lock you out. You can say ignore limit for 15 minutes or ignore for the rest of today. Okay. But like, I have been using that thing and like you basically have to deal with your guilt of like saying like, you know, I allowed an hour for social media today. Well, I know I just clicked that ignore limit four times. I just uh, did double. So it thing. makes and then you, you think to, about it. Yeah. It makes you th consider that you're being a horrible person. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, all those articles about how, Tinder and Facebook and all these things are designed to be addictive and not be good to us as humans. It's only, it's our duty to ourselves that we have to start fighting against that and using tools mm -hmm. that help us. Figure out. I mean, I'll tell you this too. Um, the last time I was single, uh, I ruined my attention span so bad swiping that like, I literally couldn't focus on fucking anything anymore. I had to, literally ban myself from it and now that i am single again i have i have that thing of like i pay tinder to show me the likes so i don't have to swipe <laughs> because i know how bad it is for me and it, i think it cost me like a hundred dollars for like six months and i'm like that hundred dollars is definitely better served than what that shit does to your brain yeah well we're wrapping up time here with jesse and uh we appreciate his time because he's such a, a busy guy before we let you go I, I think, mm -hmm. Alan, you probably had another question, but I have one important question I want to ask you. Okay. Since I am a podcaster, Alan is a podcaster uh -huh. recently, and we're almost thinking of this show as like stateside, you know, we hit the refresh button, right? And we're, mm -hmm. we're trying new stuff. You're a very experienced podcaster at this point. What is one or many tips? What What's just a, a general tip you could give to a new podcaster? Like whatever that means to you. Uh, here's interesting things uh, that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Uh, one, I mean, I know you mentioned Joe Rogan. I don't think people break out quotes that are compelling from their podcasts enough. We've been seeing that really work and uh, some of the projects I've done. Uh, two, uh, catering content to the interviewer and what they're good about talking about and doing pre-production has been a very interesting thing I've observed lately. Um, I'm NDA'd on exactly what I'm doing, but I can tell you what I'm observing, which is if you do a pre-interview process, and I, I will say this, like I've watched these done for like the late night shows, like, you know, what everybody's always like, oh my God, I think it's good. 
interviews, it's like, well, because every question's been done in the pre-interview and they figured out exactly what it's going to do. And now I don't think podcasting lends itself to that much planning, but I do think uh, that uh, going in and even saying to somebody, hey, what's something that's been on your mind that you want to talk about? Hey, what are you obsessed with? Are you really into books? You really into music, movies? Um, can we talk about this stuff? And doing pre-production, I this thing that I'm consulting on that I've been watching get done with that, my God, the difference before and after of doing that and the content is like my jaw hit the fucking floor. And one of my best friends uh, worked with the Daily Show for a decade, started John Oliver, started Samantha B. He told me things like this so many times. I'm like, yeah, whatever. That's stupid. And seeing it in action, I'm like, well, I'm, a, I'm the one who's stupid. That's really good advice, dude. I mean, Alan and I were both taking notes while you were saying that. <laughs> yeah. That's really, really good advice. Because I, I always, like, I'm always trying to have a balance of having a podcast that seems relaxed and we're just kind of talking. And that's what I love about Rogan's podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, I think being prepared and maybe having a pre like you said the pre-interview with the guest you know at least ask them like what's on your mind what are some things you want to bring up is there anything you don't want to talk about i think if if we did that that'd be really beneficial and i think if anyone out there is listening that's that's a really good tip i I, even more so here here's the question i've been seeing work really well uh what are you obsessed with lately? What can't you stop talking about? And even asking those two separate, because some people hear, hear another really interesting thing I've learned being a professional interviewer, uh, that you have to ask a lot of questions that seem like you're asking the same question for people to hear it right for what you want to get out of them. Mm, right. So here's a great example. It's every inside the album, I have to say, was there any struggles, any hurdles, any things that you guys like really toyed with that really took a long time. Like I have to say all these things because if I ask just one of those nine times out of 10, I don't get a response at all. That's worth using. But if I say all those things, all of a sudden the light bulb goes off in their brain. That's fucking great. Got anything for this man, Alan? I don't know. I think we're approaching time for him to, to do his thing. Let the busy man be. What do you got going on this evening? Tell us all of your personal stuff. <laughs> uh, I, I'm actually, just, it's a friend meeting consult, but it's a friend that's free. And uh, yeah, I just got to skedaddle to that and wolf some food down beforehand because uh, they're generous with the drinks. Yes. Well, thank you. talking to you guys. Yeah, man, it was really good seeing you again. Um, yes. Let me know if there's anything specific you want in the show notes or social media post. But um, jessecannon.com. I'm great. That's where people can find you? That's, that's my spot. Perfecto. I love it, man. All right. Well, uh, give us a few days and I'll let you know when the podcast is up. And uh, once again, awesome. it was nice hanging with you, man. Yeah, you guys as well. It was great talking to you. I All right, brother. You see, you. I'll see you. Thanks, Jesse. Bye.
Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. 